0: Are you ready for the Word today? If you take your Bibles to the book of Luke, and let's look at a few passages of Scriptures this morning. Let's just pay attention to the Word of God and open our hearts up and listen to what I feel like the Spirit wants to say to us. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse number 10. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse number 10, as we go to the Word of God. Verse number 10, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that had been done. Then they took him and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city of Bethsaida. And when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and re- received, him, received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed all those who had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provision. For we are in a... Deserted place here. And he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, Make them sit down in groups of fifty. And they did so and made them sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them gave them to the disciples, and set it before the multitude. So they did all eat and were filled, and the twelve baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. Today, just for a few moments, we're going to look at part four of the generous life. Lord, open our ears and hearts that we would hear your word, and your word would go forth in power and boldness, and everyone said amen. So this is the fourth Sunday that I've been talking about how to live a generous life. How to live a generous life. You know, Jesus talked more about money than He did heaven and hell. Quite surprising, but it is true. In the New Testament, there are 500 Scriptures on prayer, but yet if you do research, there are 2,500 Scriptures when it deals with money or dealing with material possessions. One out of ten verses in the Gospels will always refer to money or managing money. So I think that if this is such an important topic in the New Testament, we certainly need to deal with it. And Jesus is not obsessed with money, as some people think. Jesus is afraid that you would be obsessed with money. Did you hear me? Jesus is afraid that you would be obsessed with money. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24, Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24, the Bible was very clear that Jesus said that no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be loyal to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon is an old English word which means money or wealth. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is very clear. Jesus is saying that somebody or someone is going to compete for the throne of your heart. It's either going to be God or or it's either going to be money. It's going to be gold or God. And you've got to make a decision. Who is competing for the throne of my heart? Is it God or is it gold? You've got to make that decision. You see, money is a neutral thing. It's neither good or bad, but it really depends on the hands that come in contact with it. Money just reveals who you are. If you are greedy, money will exemplify your greediness. If you are generous... It will exemplify how generous you are because money reveals who you are. If there's anything in the world that reveals the type of people or the type of person that we are individually, that is money. Money reveals who we truly are. I mean, the Scripture is clear that in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, Paul is writing to his son in the faith, and he says these striking words that I think that we need to give heed to. Verse number 7, Paul said to Timothy, For you brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that you will carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, we should be content. He goes on to verse number 9. He says, But those who desire to be rich fall into the temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction. The Bible says in verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For look at this scripture. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, Paul told his son in the faith that money, the love of money, has caused some people to veer from the faith. That the love of money has caused some people to pierce themselves with many sorrows. Paul told his son in the faith that there are many people who are very greedy and running after greediness, and because of that, they are straying from the faith. What are you saying, Pastor Josh? I'm saying you've got to make a decision. Are you running after gold, or you want to run after God? You see, you've got to have money to pay your bills. We know that. Money's a good thing. Nothing wrong with it as long as it don't have you as long as you're not consumed by it and you don't love it more than you love God. But God comes, number one. Can I hear an amen? He is number one. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 23, Jesus echoes this principle that there would be some that will fall into this temptation. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 23, Then Jesus said to the Pharisees, assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And he said, and again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is clear that there are some people that won't make it to heaven because they put money first. Because they love money more than they love God. They depend on their money more than they depend upon the sovereignty of God. They depend upon their gold more Then they depend upon the providence and provision of God. You've got to make that decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to pursue after God? The Bible says in Matthew 6 and verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these other things shall be added unto you. He must come first. He must be the lover of your heart. He must be the thing that you run after. He must be your everything. If he is not number one, something will be number one and someone will be number one. And when somebody else is number one besides him, it's not going to work. But when you put him at number one, I promise you, there's going to be spiritual alignment that happens in your life. You've got to put him first. You've got to trust him with your finances. you got to put him first. Jesus was very clear. Now, why do I need to do this? Why do I need to talk about money? It is not my favorite thing to talk about, obviously. I would rather get up here and talk about uh, the rapture or the second coming or uh, the power of God or the presence of God or some kind of doctrinal issue. But, you know, this is not something that I want to do, but I feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to do And there's reasons why I feel like we need to deal with it. Number one, I feel like the reason I need to deal with money is because money reveals your heart. Money reveals your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21 in the good news or good word translation, it said, your heart will be where your treasure is. So I've got to deal with it because wherever you put your money, that's where your heart is. Wherever you put your resources, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. Your heart will reveal where your your, your money will reveal where your heart's at. So number one, I'm dealing with money because it deals with your heart. It's a heart issue. Pastor Josh can preach about money. I can get up here and tell you the importance of putting God first. But if your heart is not changed, it is just empty words in your ears. You just get up and go home and eat your dinner and don't think about anything else. You've got to have a heart change. But if the Holy Spirit don't get a hold of your heart and change your heart, where you understand that he has to do heart surgery here, And in order for me to get the illumination of the revelation, it's not going to be transformational in my life. And that's what happens in church. We hear the revelation, but it doesn't become illumination, and so therefore it is not transformational in our life. We're just given mental assent. If this word does not change your behavior, if this word does not change your habits, if this word does not change your conduct, then you are just given mental assent to a bunch of paper. You've got to get this word inside of your heart and it has to become a practice of your life. It has to become a habit of your life. That Christianity is not something that you just go to church and you believe once a week. It is something that's translated in every day of your life. Somebody help. Wave your hand and say amen this morning. It has to be transformational. It has to get inside of you. You've got to get a revelation that this is for me, that it's just not something Pastor Josh is talking about, but this is truth. This is the Word of God. It can be transformation. i I got to deal with it because it's the heart. Number two, your money will meet you in the next world. Because when you use your money and you invest it into people, when you invest it into missionaries, it will meet you in the next world. Jesus said in Luke 16:19, here's a lesson. Use your worldly resources for the benefit of others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to your eternal home. That's shouting territory right there. You can use your money, and your money can meet you in the next world. I'm not talking about going to McDonald's. I'm not talking about going to Walmart or Target. I'm talking about using your money where you spend it on somebody, and that person can go and change the world as a result of your generous heart and spirit. You've got to get a different perspective of your money, that your money can meet you in the next world. When you give to the church, you're not just given to an institution. You are given to God. How do I know that? Because the church is God's institution. It is not Pastor Josh's institution. I did not create the church. Now you may have problems with the church. You may say, well, the church did this and the church did this. And if you study church history, look how corrupt we've been. But ladies and gentlemen, this is his bride. And he loves this bride. No matter how corrupt it's been, it's still his institution. And upon this rock, he will build his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This church will last. So when you give, you are giving to God because it's His church, it's His institution, and the church has done more good in the world than any other institution in the whole world. The church has built more institutions. The church has built more orphanages. The church has built more hospitals. The church has fed the, cl- the fed the hungry, uh, uh, fed the hungry, and uh, fed uh, clothed the naked, and and the church has been a great. Not only a mission in the world, but it's been a great institution of a lighthouse to a lost and dying world. So it can meet you in the next world. That's why I've got to deal with money. Because you've got to have a a different perspective about it. Number three, I've got to deal with money because I'm a pastor. That's what pastors do. Pastors, people say, well, I just don't want to give, you know, uh, all that church wants is my money. Well, Walmart wants your money too, and you keep going. Who do you think turned these lights on? You think that Empire Electric just thinks, you know, that's a good church, we'll just keep them on? Of course we've got to have money to run this place.
1: But it's his church. Am I right about it? It's his
0: church. And so, it's my responsibility as a pastor is to teach you, because, you know, Paul said in Acts 20, 27... He's, uh, he said, "For I did not shrink from declaring you all that God wants you to know. In other words, there are some things I want you to know." He said, "I wasn't—I didn't shrink back. I just decided to tell you all. And as a pastor, I cannot shrink back to, to tell you what the Bible says about money because there are 2,500 scriptures in the New Testament alone that deals with money. I've got to talk about it. I got to talk about it. You see, money is an awesome tool that you can use to be generous." You can be generous with your time, you can be generous with your resources, but one of the best things you can be generous with is your money. Some people can't be generous with the money because they are in financial hardship. They, they can't give any money because they have too much debt, or they're not prioritizing, uh, they, they don't put God first, and so there's many different factors of why people cannot be generous. 57% of marriages end in divorce because they don't communicate about money. That's a problem. So money is an issue. It is not having more money. It's managing the money that we do have, correctly. It's managing the money that we do have. It's not us getting more. It's about you managing what God has already given you. i got a question to ask you. Is God pleased with how you are handling your money? Is God pleased with how you're handling your money? Are you glorifying God with your money? Are you putting God first with your money? Do you trust God with your money? You remember the story I told last week, and I'm not going to go over it too much. But I just love that story in 1 Kings chapter 17, that that story of the widow woman and the prophet Elijah, how they, how Elijah demonstrates to us how you need to trust God. You remember that story? You know, the prophet said to the widow woman, "Please bring me some bread." Is that what the prophet said? And you heard the story last week. The prophet said, bring me some bread. Verse 12, the Bible says, so she said, as the Lord God lives, I don't have any bread, just some flour and some oil in a jar. And I'm going to gather some sticks. I'm going to go prepare it for myself. And then we're going to eat it and we're going to die. And then the prophet said something outstanding. Verse 13, he said, do not fear. Do as I have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Bring it to me. Afterwards, make me some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So you you know what God's trying to teach us out of this story? Number one, He's trying to teach us, you already know this, that God will never ask you to give something that you don't have. Because look at the Bible. The Bible says in verse 11, what did the prophet say? The prophet said... Bring me some bread. Is that what he said? Verse number 12, what did the woman say? I don't have no bread, but I do have some flour and oil. What do you need to have? What do you need to have to make bread? So she already had the ingredients to make bread. God will never ask you to do something that you don't have the resources to do. Somebody say amen. And do you know what she said? She said, I'm going to prepare it for myself and my son, and we're going to die. You see, that's what selfishness is. Selfishness says, I'm going to hold on to it for myself and my family. You hear the selfishness in this woman? It's fear speaking. I'm going to hold on to this little flower. I'm going to hold on to this little bread. I'm going to keep it for myself because I'm fearful, and I'm going to consume it myself. Because that's what fear does. When you're in a financial hardship, you don't want to give because you're fearful. You hold on to that little. And that's what that woman said I'm going to hold on to the bread. I'm going to hold on, or hold on to the flour and the oil. But what did the prophet say? The prophet said very clearly, What I want you to do, I want you, look at it, I want you to bring me a small cake first. The prophet said, I know you're discouraged. I know you don't have much, but you need to bring me a small cake. Make me a small cake first. You've got to understand that what God's asking you to do is small. What God is asking you to do is small. We make all kinds of excuses why we can't give and why we can't be generous. But ladies and gentlemen, when grace abounds, then generosity should be more abundant in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What God is asking you is small in comparison of what he's done for you. And what did the prophet say? Not only do I want you to bring me something small, but I want you to bring it to me first. Bring it to me first. Bring it to me first. Bring me small, but bring it first. What God is asking you to do is small, church, but he wants you to do it first. And when you put God first, guess what's going to happen? The Lord says that the flour shall not be used up and the oil shall not run dry. If you could put God first, no matter how small it is, God's going to provide for you in the season of wilderness and drought in your life. Are you putting God first? It's amazing. We have retirement plans, but do you have a giving plan? God God is not asking you to come to church and just think, you know, uh, at the last moment I'm going to give an offering. You should be preparing about it, praying about it. This is an act of worship. It's not something you should just think of at the last moment. That this is an act of worship. This is how I live my life. I am giving God first and I'm giving him the small. It's very small compared to what God's asking me. You see, as we turn to this story in Luke chapter 9, we are faced with a problem, but we're also faced with his provision. And I'm going to share with you in Luke chapter 9 how God's provision can be seen when it looks bleak. Are you ready for it? Everybody raise your hand and say, I'm ready for it, Pastor. Are you ready for it? So, this is what I'm going to do. I, it's kind of like um, expository preaching almost. Not quite, it's a little topical narrative, but I'm going to go verse by verse. And I'm going to tell you what this story means. Are you ready for it? I just read to you the story of of the, the fish and the bread. And then I want to tell you from the story what God wants you to know about how God wants to provide for you. Ready for it? The Bible says in Luke chapter 9, verse 10, look at this, look at this. The apostles, when they returned, told him all that had been done. Then he took them and went aside privately to a deserted place belonging to the city of Bethsaida. Verse 11, go to verse 12, I'm sorry. And when the day began to wear away, now let's stop. This is the context of the story. Verse 10 says, all of these people is in a deserted place. So that means there's no McDonald's or Walmart or Target. I mean, it's deserted. Everybody shout, it's deserted. Everybody shout, there's a lot of people there. In a deserted place. So verse 10 says it's deserted. Verse 12 says the day is late. When the day begins to wear away, most theologians think it's beginning to get night. So it's nighttime and they're in a deserted place. The sun's going down. How many would raise your hand and say, that's not good right there, that's not good. If you're with 5,000 people and screaming babies out in the hot Palestinian sun and you've been all day listening to a long-winded preacher and you have nothing to eat, I don't know about you, but we would get very aggravated. How many will raise your hand and say, Pastor, I would get aggravated being in the Palestinian sun, listening to a long-winded preacher, there's flies going around my nose, there's crying babies beside of me. Come on, somebody. That is an aggravating situation. So they are in 5,000 men. That doesn't count women and children. So you have all these people on the Judean hillside in a deserted place. The day is wearing away. And the Bible says that they were hungry. They had nothing to eat. Verse 13, the Bible says they had nothing. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more but just five loaves and a couple fish. So these people didn't have anything to eat. Now, Jesus is a good preacher here. He's a Pentecostal preacher. Because anytime you have a long-winded service, you should at least eat something. Can I hear an amen? So here, get this. Jesus is preaching to 5,000 men, not including children and women. So there's probably 20,000, most people believe. The the sun's going down, they're hot, they're exhausted, they're hungry, they're in a deserted place. Jesus has preached all day, so I want you to know that there is a problem. What is the problem? We're hungry. We've been here all day. We have nothing to eat. It's a deserted place, and the day is late. What are you trying to say, pastor? The principle is clear. Principle one, a situation that seems impossible with men is simply an opportunity. (laughs) How many would agree with me that this seemed impossible? How are you going to feed 5,000 men with some fish and some bread? It seems impossible. But ladies and gentlemen, a situation that seems impossible with men is simply an opportunity for God. Is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, Pastor, I have experienced the provision of God in situations where it looked bleak. Hallelujah, where it looked bleak, I have experienced situations. One preacher stood up one time and said, I just want to testify that he is everything that you've ever, ever needed. An old preacher said in a country church one time, he's everything you've ever, ever needed. He said, I've learned that in the valley, he's the lily. He said on the mountain, he's the bright and morning star. He said that when the thorns of life are pressing in, I've discovered that he's the rose of Sharon. He said, I've discovered to the cold and to the hungry, he's the bread of life. I've discovered to the destitute and forsaken, he's the shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one. I've discovered for the lonely and the friendless, he's the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I've discovered that when I'm down and out and defeated, he's the victory that overcomes the world. Hallelujah, I'm telling you that a situation that seems impossible with men is simply an opportunity for God. Are we not serving a God that fathered a- that told Abraham to leave his country and go to a country that he does not know? Are we not serving a God that raised up a prophet by the name of Moses and anointed him with the Spirit of God? And God delivered him from the hand of Pharaoh and brought him through the Red Sea and brought him into a land flowing with milk and honey? Are we not serving a God that can shut the mouths of lions and free those? Come on, somebody. Are we not serving a God that shows up in the jailhouse because two people agree that God is greater than any circumstance they could ever go through? Are we not serving a God? that can do the impossible. And if we believe that he's a God that can do the impossible, then my God, let's believe he can do it today. If Baal is Baal, let's worship him. But if God is God, let's worship him. Hallelujah. Raise your hand and thank God for the power of God this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. A situation that seems impossible with men is simply an opportunity for God. Telling you when you find yourself at the bleakest moment of your life, when you find yourself at the moment where you feel like you can't go any any further, I want to tell you that he's the one that will stick closer than a brother. I'm telling you that he's the one that will bring you out. I'm telling you that he's the one that can do it. Somebody say amen. I don't know about you, but I feel the power of God this morning. And once in a while I do feel the power of God. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, church, you can put him in a storm and he'll get up out of the boat and command the winds and the waves to be still. I'm telling you, you could put him on a cross and he'll open heaven up for a dying thief. I'm telling you, you could put him in a grave, and three days later, he'll kick the stone out singing, there ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. You can put him in a court of judgment, and the verdict will be "As I find no fault in this man. I'm telling you, we serve a God. That can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Is there anybody in this Pentecostal church that still believes he's able to do far above all that we ask or think? Woo! Hallelujah! As man, he can sleep in the boat. But as God, he can command the winds and the waves to be still. As man, he can get hungry, but as God, he can multiply the loaf and the fish. As man, he can weep at the tomb of Lazarus, but as God, he could command the four-day dead body of that man to rise again. As man, he can die on the cross, but as God, he can resurrect himself from the dead, crushing the head of the serpent. I'm telling you today, we serve a God that can do the impossible. Hallelujah. I want some people to believe God in 2018 that He is able to do far above what we can ask or think. Hallelujah. He's able to do what we ask or think. The Bible says, verse 12, get this. Now when the day was wearing away, what did the disciples do? Lord, we don't have no food. Send them away. That they may go to a surrounding country or village so that they may lodge and get provision. Stop here. This is so, I just love the Bible. Because <laughs> I was reading this, I, I don't know, I think I I had my I knew what I was preaching on, but I was studying about three o'clock this morning, and and uh as I was looking at this verse, this has popped out. I never saw this. But The disciples' response was, you know, I know we're all shouting that God can provide, but these disciples are having a hard time that He can provide. And so you know what happens when we are stuck in a place and we feel
1: like there is no provision? We want relief. We want quick relief. Because the Bible says, the disciples says, send them
0: away to the town, to the country. That they may lodge and get provision there. What is the principle? The principle is this. That you can have great concern and yet weak faith.
1: What was their concern? Their concern was these people are hungry. Let's feed them.
0: But this is how we're going to feed them. Send them away. They had great concern. They wanted these people fed, but they had weak faith. And that's what happens when you get in a situation and you need God to provide. It's not that you don't love God or you don't have great concern. Sometimes it's a matter of how strong our faith is. Because, listen to Pastor Josh, great concern is concerned with relief. But faith is concerned with, give me what you have. Concern, get this, concern is all about give me relief. And that's what the disciples were doing. Send them away. Let it, This is how we're going to relieve the problem. Let them go away and get their own food. But Jesus says, that's not what I want you to do. Verse 13, Luke 9:13. this is what faith is. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Because when we're stuck in a place that we don't feel like God will provide, we're thinking, well, why does does God want this? This is not much. And since this is all I have, I'll keep it to myself. But faith is saying, release what you have. And trust me that I will take care of what you need. Concern is I want relief, but faith is I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to give you what I have and I'm going to trust you that you're going to take my little and you're going to multiply it and take care of the crowd. So great, great, great concern wants relief, but great faith gives God what you have. Notice 13, verse 13 He said, you give them something to eat. And they said, well, we have no more than five loaves, two fishes, unless we just go buy some food somewhere else. What is the principle? The principle is Jesus is saying, I will never ask you to do or to give anything that you don't have the ability to give. Jesus said to the disciples, what do you have to feed these people? I'm not going to ask you to do something that you don't have the ability to do. You give what you have. Verse 14. Verse number 14. So there was about 5,000 men. And the Bible says that Jesus told His disciples, I want you to put them in groups of 50. Put them in groups of 50. Now, it's interesting to me that before this miracle occurred, He put them in groups of 50, which I think the principle is clear, that preparation, preparation always comes before multiplication. If you want God to multiply things in your life, you're going to have to start preparing. You're going to have to start getting things in order. It's just not going to show up just to show up. You're gonna to have to set things in order. And before the miracle ever occurred, he put things in fifties because there's always order and preparation before the miracle. There's always order and preparation before the miracle. He goes on to verse number 16. Verse number 16, get this. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, and he blessed it, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and they set it before the multitude. Principle number five. It has to be blessed before it's multiplied, before the fish was multiplied, before the bread was multiplied. According to verse 16, Jesus blessed it. And ladies and gentlemen, let me make sure this loud and clear this morning. If you want your finances to be blessed, you're going to have to give it to the Lord first. And you're gonna to have to put it in his hands first and let him bless it because if he doesn't bless it, it's not gonna to multiply to be enough to take care of what you need. Do you hear me? It has to be blessed before it multiplies. We think, you know, that that, that we listen, everything in God's economy is backwards. If you wanna live, you gotta die. If you wanna get, you gotta give. Christianity is about self-abandonment.
1: It's not about give me, give me. It's about how much can you give away? That's what it's about. I know that's not popular preaching. But
0: if you really, really read the Bible, generosity is, God is saying, how much, how, how, how deep can you trust me? How far will you go? How much do you love me? Are you willing to let go of it? Because when it comes out of your hands and gets in my hands, I can bless it and multiply it. But it will never be multiplied if it stays in your hands. And that is why some of us struggle so much. We struggle week to week and month after month because we don't put God in our finances. And our finances are not being blessed and it's not
1: multiplying because it's staying in your hands. You got to release it.
0: Has to be blessed before it multiplies. The Bible says, verse 16, get this. Not only does it have to be blessed, but what else did he do? Verse 16, he blessed it. Somebody shout, he blessed it. On the count of three, I want you to shout as loud as you can shout, he blessed it. One, two, three. And what else did he do to it? Okay, and then he what? And he what? He what? He what? He what? what? So what's the principle? The principle is this. It has to be given away before it multiplies. Not only does it have to be blessed by Jesus, but you've got to release it out of your hand. And when it was released out of Jesus' hands, it was released to the disciples'
1: hands, and they distributed it, and it was multiplied. Verse 16. Did you notice? Did you notice that the miracle
0: never took place in the hands of Jesus? He blessed it, but the miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. Whoa, I'm about to shout here. Y'all hear it? Get this. The miracle, the bread. And the fish was first blessed by his hands. He released it, gave it to the disciples, and then they gave it away. And then it was what? It was never multiplied in his hands. It was multiplied in the disciples' hands when they gave it. And you know why it multiplied? Because it was already in the hands of Jesus. Jesus already blessed it. So when the disciples got it, they got something blessed. And so they gave it away and it started multiplying. The reason that our finances are not blessed is because we haven't put it in his hands and we're not giving it out. And so therefore we go around this circle year after year realizing that our finances are not blessed because we're not walking in the spirit of generosity. The principle is this, that the miracle of multiplication happened in the
1: disciples' hands because what they had in their hands was blessed by Jesus. You say, well, all that preacher wants is my money. No. Nobody in this church is getting rich. I promise you, Matter of fact, I'm getting on my knees telling you
0: nobody is getting rich. Now, it may happen somewhere else, but at this church, the finances are completely accounted for. And we're doing our very, very best to be good stewards of the money that he's placed in our hands. And so when you release it out of your hands, the reason you release it is because you've already given it to the Lord first. You've already set aside,
1: and you give it to him, and when you release it and you give it, it multiplies. You see, the Bible says that, I'm almost done now.
0: This this is interesting, because the disciples gave it, it multiplied, and this is what's interesting. If you ever thought about the story, everybody look up here. If you ever thought about the story, if, if it was me, if it was me, I got the bread and the fish, Jesus blessed it, gave it to me, and I'm passing it out. They're all in groups of 50, and I'm passing the bread out, and I'm passing the fish out. I've been with Jesus all day. I think I would help myself and eat a piece of bread. Can, can somebody help me out? I think I would have a little fish fry before I went and gave it to everybody else. Because you know what I'd say? Now Jesus, if you expect me to hand out fish and bread to 5,000 people, I gotta be
1: fed first. Boy, isn't that the modern church? But
0: true discipleship is learning how to serve up under pressure. Because you know what they did? They served even when they were hungry. They served even when they were tired. They served even when they didn't feel like it. And you know, I'm about to to say hallelujah, because the Bible says in verse 17, what happened? That after they served, everybody was filled, and there was 12 baskets. Why 12 baskets? Because there's 12 disciples, and everybody that serves... You serve. If you can serve up under pressure and if you can give out even when you don't feel like you've been given to, in the end, he'll not make sure you just have a little piece of bread. He'll make sure you have a basket. How many would wave your hand and say, Preacher, I want my basket. (laughs) Somebody wave, I want my basket. But lots of people that give up because they don't understand what it means to truly
1: serve and truly give. The Bible says they collected fragments, and it was 12 baskets,
0: because nothing is ever wasted in the kingdom of God. If you will give what you have and continue to serve, you will get a basket. The other principle is they didn't eat it. They didn't eat what was in their hands, they distributed what was in their hands. And isn't that what we do? We want to eat it. We want to keep the money and eat it ourselves, keep our resources. Because, you know, I have a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish here. I'm going to keep it myself. But the disciples understood the law of multiplication wasn't that I just keep my little. I have to give my little
1: because little is much when God is in it. Don't eat it. Give it. Because doing it God's
0: way don't make sense, church, but it always works. I said it doesn't make sense, does it? Doing it God's way. Doesn't make sense, but it works. Do you know why? If if these people read the Old Testament during this miracle, do you know there's an Old Testament miracle compatible to the feeding of the 5,000? The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 4 that the prophet fed a multitude. The Bible says. The man of God came from Baal and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley bread, newly ripened grain. And he said unto the people, give it to them that they may eat. Now get this, verse 23. This is 2 Kings 4, 43. And he said to the servant, now this is Elisha, what shall I set this before one hundred men? He said again, give it to the people that they may eat it. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he said it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of God. Do you all see what's happening here? How many men needed to be fed? A hundred. How many pieces of bread or barley did they have? Verse 43, how many did they have?
1: Twenty. So everybody shout a hundred men and twenty loaves of barley bread.
0: So I'm not a mathematician, but do you think a hundred grown men? Do you think twenty barley loaves of bread is enough to feed them after they've been to battle? So what did the prophet say? He said, I want you to give what you have give the 20 loaves of barley bread he said give it to the people that they may eat it and they shall eat it and they'll have some left over this sounds very familiar to Luke chapter 9 give what you have but when the miracle was said and done and over how many baskets did they have left over twelve And in this miracle, they had some left over. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying, church, if we can release what's in our hands, and we can walk in a spirit of generosity, it's not the amount. It's not the amount. But if you can release what's in your hands, if you can release the five loaves of bread, if you can release the two fish... If you can release the 20 barley loaves of bread, I'm telling you, the multitude will be fed.
1: It will be fed. What about it, folks? What about it? As I stand before you, this is something I've lived all
0: my life. I have a a dream book, it's a black book in my office. It's called my dream book. In the front of it, I have my seven core values of life. The first value of my life, I wrote this years ago, was to always honor people. Number two, it was always to be generous. Number three, it was always to support my pastors, submissive to them, always honor them.
1: Number five, it was always to keep my word. So forth. There's a couple others.
0: Those were my guiding principles all my life. So when I felt stressed, I would just say, it's, and one of them was honesty. And so when I, when I felt stressed, I would say my guiding principle is that I will always be submissive no matter what. If they're, if they're not unethical, illegal, immoral, I'm submissive. I'm always generous. Try to be. I'm not perfect. I'm going to always keep the word. And I always go back to those guiding principles. The, the point of it is, is I'm not perfect. But you've got to make an a, adjustment in your life. You, you've, many people work so much in their life, they don't work on their life. You've got to work on your life. You've got to yank a knot in your life. You've got to get a hold of your life. You've got to get a hold of it. Life happens, but if you've got to make things happen. It's just not going to happen. You've got to put the principles and precepts in your life to work. It's more than just mental assent. It's more than just me preaching this. It's, it's, it, has to, it has to be transformative in the heart of man. The Bible says in Exodus 35 verse 20, the Bible says that Moses said to the people, I want you to bring an offering. Exodus 35 and verse 20. He said, bring an offering. And then everyone whose hearts were stirred. It's a heart thing, folks. It's not a money thing. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. And everyone whose spirit was willing. you got to be willing. Don't do it with an attitude. Do it willingly. He said, bring it to the tabernacle of the meeting. So all these people, Moses said, Moses was the pastor, bring an offering. And their hearts were stirred. They were willing. The Bible says in Exodus 36, verse 5, the Bible says that Moses, saying the people bring much more than enough for the service of the Lord. My Lord, church. What would
1: happen if just all of us would be generous? You... 5,000 people were fed because the
0: miracle did not happen outside of the group. The miracle happened because they were obedient in the group. We don't need somebody to come in from the outside and do something for us. The miracle is right here among us if we would just obey the principles of the Word of God. All of you should have just clapped your hands because that's true. It, it, it doesn't need to happen anyway. The miracle happened among the 5,000. They went and got a little boy's lunch. They, they were all obedient. And that's what happened in this story. They were all obedient. And they brought. And you know what happened in verse number 6 and 7 of the same chapter? The Bible says, Moses said, Please tell these
1: people that they bring too much. Please tell them to stop. And the people were restrained from bringing for the material that they had was
0: sufficient. Indeed, it was too much. Boy, what would happen if I got to get up on Sunday morning and say, please, folks, I know I preached on generosity, but you're just just doing too much. We need to stop this right now. What would happen if I just got to get up and say, stop it. I need all of you to quit being so godly.
1: I need all of you to quit please quit being godly. Quit acting like Jesus. Proverbs 11:24 Solomon understood the principle.
0: He said, "The one who scatters is the one that's going to increase. The one who gives is the one that's going to increase." And there is one that withholds more than is right. But that leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. If you scatter and you give, it's going to come back. It's
1: going to increase. But if you hold, it leads to poverty Hallelujah.